What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes and Spotify. Also check out our website at talklouderpodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And today, this show is for all the Saxon fans out there. And I know we've got Saxon fans out there. Yes. I think it's fair to say that uh, our guest today is a legend. Drummer Nigel Glockler from the mighty British heavy metal band Saxon, uh, one of the forefathers of the new wave of British heavy metal movement. Yes. Um, and Nigel is going to spend some time with us today. We're not only going to talk about Saxon, but we're going to delve into other parts of his career that you may not know about. Um, he's a great guy, a lot of fun to talk to easygoing, full of laughs. It's always a great hang when you're with Nigel Glockler. So I'm looking forward to that today. I know Jason's uh, spent some time with Nigel over the years. I know he's a big Saxon fan. Yes. Uh, you want to throw anything in here before we bring in Nigel? The the times I that I've seen, uh, I never saw Saxon without Nigel. Um, you know, when there, there were a handful of spots, as we'll soon talk to Nigel and find out when those there were spots where they had a, another guy playing drums uh, Udo Dirk Snyder's son actually played a few gigs uh, we'll talk about that with Nigel but you know I saw Saxon a lot in the 80s and then uh, you know over time it it seemed less and less and it was spotted I mean like one week I'd see him at a at a club and then the next week I'd see him direct support for Judas Priest. Yeah. And so they're one of those bands that can pack out a club, obviously, and just rage and give 110% and then, you know, get on a giant stage and the show is the same show, but they're not, they're not one of those bands that doesn't have to have the big, uh, you know, inflatable doll on stage in a club or they can't play the gig. You know, that's nothing yeah. to do with that. They're a great just rock and roll band and they have a rock and roll attitude. And uh, it's just impressive that, you know, and and you learn all this by just realizing that Nigel is this this awesome, like, dude who wants to hang out and talk about rock and roll. Yeah, so, yeah, he's a great guy. And And growing up, as I did in San Antonio, uh, Texas Saxon got a lot of airplay on the radio thanks to Joe Anthony the great DJ at 99.5 Kiss in San Antonio uh, I was very familiar with Saxon growing up because of that um, my second concert the very the second show I went to was Fastway Saxon and Iron Maiden and I always like to talk to Nigel about that and I also want to tell people in case uh, you happen to for some strange reason stop listening to Saxon back in the 80s or even the 90s they put out their last four or five albums are awesome um so you need to check those out as well and we'll talk a little bit about those albums in the episode with nige and uh he's an honorary texan we'll, we'll right. touch on that and yes. uh, yeah so i think we should let him have the floor ladies and gentlemen let's bring him in nigel glockler from saxon <laughs> And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, all the way from England, Mr. Nigel Glockler, hey. drummer, yeah, drummer extraordinaire from yeah. Saxon. <laughs> How yeah. are you, man? It's good to see you. Good, and you? 
You oh, too. Man. You know, I just want to say I've just eaten the fastest dinner in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Because it is dinner time in England right is, now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We just finished lunch. You just finished dinner. That's the that's yeah. the uh, time difference between Texas and uh, and England, I guess. Someone yeah. might someone might uh, might ask a question. I mean, I'm fairly <laughs> interested. What did you have for dinner this evening? No. <laughs> <laughs> nah. <laughs> it wasn't that great, or no? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I had okay. some like sort of. Uh, smoked pork sausage and some sort of uh, cheesy broccoli thing you know so that sounds and, great sounds hard and some uh, jalapeno mustard ah, ah. so <laughs> very texas of you. you yeah you still have some texan left in you that's good oh, you know. uh, hold on a second jalapeno. was it habanero i can't remember it's pretty damn hot well know. i was i was going to bring this up you know a lot of people don't know that a member of saxon is also a member of like He's you're a Texan. He's an honorary Texan. You're an yeah. honorary Texan, if not Texan. You married a Texan <laughs> and then you moved to Texas. Yeah. That's pretty much enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that yeah. was cool. We were there for like, what, three, three and a half years, something like that. So, four yeah. Years. It was fun to just be able to tell my friends that, did you know the drummer for Saxon lives in Austin? It is a fact. <laughs> and they were like, no, nah, uh, those guys are from fucking England. They're untouchable. I go, no, you'd be surprised. He was in my kitchen yesterday. Saxon are people too. <laughs> More cowbell, more cowbell. More yeah. cowbell. I speak the truth. Nigel came over to my house one time and, and not only was it was it fantastic to have him over, um, he brought beer and the and the beer that he brought was called More Cowbell. Oh, so, shit. yeah. You, you can just yeah. imagine what a good time that led up to. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So so let's let's uh, let's let's do the timeline a little bit. You you uh, obviously you're from England. You married a Texan. You're no stranger to Texas through all your touring. And then you moved yeah. to Texas, uh, lived here for about three years, although you were on the road quite a bit during that time. Yeah. And yeah. then um, more recently, about a year ago, year and a half maybe now, uh, you moved back to England. And um, I, I think the plan originally was you were going to go back to England because it made more sense to be over there while you did a lot of the touring uh, during the summer festival season. And yeah. then COVID happened and you kind of that's kind of where it stopped. And did yeah. you, are, do you still have plans to come back to Texas? Because I think yeah, we're, we're still we're still looking at it. You know, as I say, COVID screwed everything up. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we had postponed shows and stuff like this. And um, so, you know, we'll see once we get the next round of touring done, we'll take it from there, you know. Yeah. And, and one, of, one of the things I always thought inter was interesting about Nigel is you don't often find a native uh, a British guy who absolutely loves the Texas heat. <laughs> Yeah. He he yeah. has no problem with it. I'm a native Texan and I can't stand it. But this guy, he's like a lizard. <laughs> are you are you burned out on on uh, the colder months over there? Or if we've had a heat wave here. Oh shit! What's yeah. a heat wave in England? Hey, no, it, it's been like 32 over here Celsius. Yeah, 32, yeah. which is what 90 something. Yeah, 90. Oh. 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Oh, We've you, had this you're... for like for two weeks, I think, something like. And it's only just broken today, but I think we've got another one coming in, in a, about a week or so. 
Well, you have to be loving that. <laughs> yeah, but there's a big difference, though. Oh, okay, tell us. I was talking to Gina about there's a big difference. Is at least in over there, you've got AC in the houses. Yeah. Right. So you're nice and cool inside, and you go outside. Oh, yeah, this is great. This is hot here. It's just like sweltering in and out. Ah. So that that's been a bit heavy. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I guess there's no need for air conditioning in England most of the time. Yeah. You probably can't, even in the, especially in the off season, you probably just can't uh, motor down to, you know, the, the hardware shop and get you, get you an, a a window unit and stick it in there and plug it in. No, you don't. uh, I don't think I know of. No, you just haven't got anything like that here really. Right. You know, and people then, go out and buy fans and stuff, but basically yeah. all a fan does is just blow the hot air around. Yeah, that's right. You know? <laughs> so, so a lot of the uh, about, as, about as useful as an ashtray in a force eight gale, you know. So. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, a lot of the the northern uh, parts of the northern U.S., a lot of those older houses don't have central air. Yeah, they don't have air condition because it stays cool. You know, yeah. the summers are not, they might have one room that has a window unit in, but they don't have central yeah. air at least. So, yeah. No, uh, no, I mean, the other thing, I mean, the, play, the place we're renting at the moment has got a like a conservatory, but it's got like a sort of um, like a glass stroke, sort of like one of these polycarbonate roofs. So it's all glass. And then on the top, you go in there, it's like God almighty. It's like <laughs> sitting there trying to sweating. You know? <laughs> Too much. Well, oh. if you ever do get back to Texas, you'll be perfectly conditioned for it then. Oh, yeah. I guess. yeah. Yeah. I'll probably, be, when, when I'll probably be walking around wearing a coat all the time. It's cold. <laughs> yeah. Your blood's got your blood might even start be starting to thin uh because of your you know, you had a little bit of a of a trial run, three years or so in yeah. the heat. You know, yeah. your blood's probably just started to settle because, you know, you got yeah. thicker, thicker blood when you're, I mean, you're English. You got yeah, when you're blood. in the cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, All be- right. Uh, enough about weather. Let's yeah. uh, tell, tell us Talk a little about bit. rock and roll. Yeah. 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 What's well, the next forecast? No, anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> what can you tell us about uh, the latest news with Saxon? Is there, are you, are you writing? Is there a new album on the horizon? Uh, are tour plans starting to shape up? Bring us up to date on Saxon. Um, right. Well, there is, um, there, there, there is a new, you know, a new album is coming out. Uh, I think the pre-orders are happening in October, I think, but the new album is generally going to be released in uh, January, February next year. Okay. And uh, funnily enough, I, it was a couple of weeks ago, I just finished writing some sort of keyboard intros for a couple of tracks, you know, so cool. doing that. So that's all, it's all been mixed now. I think it's been passed off. So it's in the hands of the record company now. Ah, so it's, uh, as far it's as the writing in the, as far as the writing and the recording, it's done. It's in the it's can. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's all done. Do you, do you have the, ready uh, to go? I mean, initially, you know, we did the, you know, we did the covers album. Yeah. Right. Initially for this year, originally that was going to be the release date for this album. Oh. But, but uh, because of the COVID thing and the record company didn't want to release it until we can tour. Right. Which is why you go on tour anyway. Sure. And um, so they said, why don't you do a covers album? So that's what we did. And so it gave us, you know, obviously with the time for the recording of the covers album and everything, it gave us time for this year to finish off any bits yeah. and maybe hone a few things down for this new original album. 
Right. Yeah. So the, is the covers album out? Just to be clear. Is yeah, it, it came it out is, uh, it January, out. February. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's it's, uh, it's called Inspirations, correct? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, and talk a little bit about that. Uh, give people a sample of what songs you covered. And, and for you personally, which ones were your favorites or which ones uh, did you add to the mix? Um, I mean, everyone put put ideas in, you know. I mean, the the end result was we did Paint It Black and Stones song we did um see my friends which was like a bit of a psychedelic kinks song you know um i put in um even though it wasn't their own song i put in evil woman by black sabbath oh yeah yes yeah. i love that first album sure and uh, what else did i put in i put in which actually isn't on the album but it was on it's on the b side of a single um one last cold kiss by mountain oh yeah i just love mountain um, I'm trying to think what else we did. The Rocker Thin Lizzy. Yeah. Oh, nice. Shoot, shoot, UFO. That was a B side. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got a UFO t shirt on there. Yes. Yeah, actually. Yes. So, yeah, it was quite an interesting, quite an interesting thing to do. And we did That's Bomber by Motorhead. Oh, my God. This is getting better and better. It's, so it's, it's uh, <laughs> literally a rainbow of classics. Yeah. 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 And some surprises. Is, is there is Toto on that record? Oh yeah, yeah. We did hold the line, Toto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that that's was a great, great song. Yeah. In fact, that's funnily enough, that's the one in in all the uh, reviews that people have been raving about because they weren't expecting it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the, I've always loved that song, um, and I and I know your wife Gina is a huge Toto fan, and yeah, uh, I, I Caro fan. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I've heard your version of it, and, and you guys pull it off well. So no wonder everybody's talking about it in the press. That's a yeah, that a was great and, and you know, I mean, you you were asking about touring as well. I mean, sort of stuff's being lined up. We're looking at tours next year and stuff. So um, hey, nice mug there. You like and, that? Uh, <laughs> and uh, I've got one just like all, that. all the cool <laughs> kids. All the cool kids have one, Nigel. Hold yours up so we can be the three stooges. <laughs> Notice I didn't say the three musketeers. I wouldn't go that yeah. far. Nigel does have a talk louder mug. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, I do. And so, um, no, so that's all being lined up. And I mean, the first thing we've got gig wise, I mean, we're still waiting to see. We're meant to be playing this um, festival over here in the UK in, in the middle of August called Bloodstock. Right, uh, yeah, right. three or three or four day festival. We're on just before Judas Priest. Oh, perfect! Yeah, so they're, they're headlining the last day, and we're on just before them. But again, with the COVID thing, we don't know. Yeah, right. you know, I think it's going to be, you know, maybe a week before, two weeks before, we'll know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Real, real I know another one, the Steel House, which is another festival we've done. I think that happened this yesterday, week. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got a friend that's over there. Uh, Stephen Blackmore is over there in a, in a little pop-up tent. <laughs> I think he went out there and camped for two or three days. It's, it's a oh, good. Well, I hope the weather was all right because every time we've played there, it's absolutely bucketed down. <laughs> I have a feeling Stephen doesn't care. He's just happy to be out seeing some oh, live yeah. rock and roll. <laughs> Isn't Stephen uh, from Ma Manchester? Yes, he is. Yeah, Stephen Blackmore from Manchester. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Um, yeah. And then next year, you know, we've got the postponed 40th anniversary, the three UK shows. We've got them happening in January. Okay. And, um, and then after that, then, then we hit the road. 
So that's fingers the crossed. That's the plan. So let's see what happens. You know. Great. Yeah. Do you have any working title uh, of your the new record? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you yet. You, you don't have to. I was just wondering if yeah, I mean, yeah there if, is. If there yeah, was there a is. chance, that's good. So I, think there, I mean, there's a couple being banded about, but I think okay. there's. I, mean, I don't want to say anything. In no, no, you don't have to. No, we, we're not going to do that. Uh, yeah. We don't. We don't really beg here. Uh, we might prod, <laughs> but we don't beg. So, so, so I wanna, I wanna throw. I just wanna throw. It's not random because it's all about Nigel. But um, I know you replaced Pete. Yeah. Uh, in I'm gonna guess '81. Yeah. Okay. So end of '81. Yes. Okay. So, <clears throat> um. I've always, even though, I mean, when I listen to, you know, I'll just say the old stuff, uh, pre-Nigel, uh, yet I still say you, I still count you in as an original member of Saxon. And that just happens because you've been in the band longer than any, anybody else in Saxon other than Biff probably combined. You know, Biff, and, take, Biff, and, Biff and Paul. Yes, correct. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. you you pretty much are you're not you haven't been the new guys in a long time. Yeah. You, you haven't <laughs> been the new guy in the true, band actually, yeah. in a yeah, long it, time. It, funny enough, yeah, a lot of people sort of look at me as the original drummer. Yeah, well, know? that's what I'm saying, and yeah. you know what? And I'm saying that's fine. I mean, that's actually kind of a a, a, un, a, a thankless compliment, right? Hmm. Um because you've been in the band uh, with you know with such tenor and and have have helped write songs and have brought a lot to the table and I don't even remember what if Pete got any writing credit or if he was involved other than just play the songs yeah I don't I don't know how involved he got with I've no idea okay, okay. but he, but it just seems his, his uh, your your tenor in the band has cowered over his involvement uh with no disrespect to pete by giving no, he was you. Great. i mean his playing was great on those albums yes you know? yeah yes yeah. and i saw him um i saw him uh with motorhead in 84 so yeah. that's my only time i ever got to see <clears throat> Pete play but yeah. i was extremely happy to meet you on my 18th birthday in 1982 <laughs> in austin texas okay <laughs> yeah, i think i met you the day before your wife you met your wife Ah, what in San Antonio? Yeah, I saw. I met you in Austin. I think you guys were in San Antonio the next yeah. night uh, supporting Molly Hatchet. That's right, and that's that same night I met Dave McLean as well. That's right. Yeah, right that's right. 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 Exactly right. <laughs> so, so a lot, it's a historical moment uh, in my fandom as, as a Saxon fan. I have one more thing to piggyback. Was it that tour that this these little kids in Los Angeles opened for Saxon at the Whiskey? Is it the same tour? Um, it was the same year. Because, I mean, we kept we kept going, coming okay. back. Maybe it was the same tour. I can't remember. I'll tell you why. Because well, in 82, we, kept, we had Molly Hatchet. Right. And then I think then we were, I think we kept going back to England, coming back. But we, we jumped on. We were doing gigs with Triumph. Right. Rainbow. Okay. Um, so the, the first time you played the whiskey with Saxon was... That would have been 82, I'm pretty, yeah. Okay, so some little skinny kids. You're uh, talking about, I know who and, you're talking about. Metallica opened yeah. for you guys. When so, Dave Dave was still in them then, yeah. Yes, 
Yes, wow. it was. Uh, it was, uh, and I think James was just the singer. I think he just sang. You know, oh, okay. recall? yeah, they may have had a second guitarist named Lloyd Grant. Right. It's arguable that that was Metallica's very first show, and they had to like beg to get on the bill. I think that I think it's I think in Metallica history it goes down as the first night that Metallica opened for either a, a, an international quote national act a, an act bigger than a local band. Right. And they were they were opening for Saxon and that was their first oh my god we've made it we're playing with somebody big. <laughs> well, they, were, they were playing with someone who they adored. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's yeah. a that's a big deal to everyone. Absolutely. It's a big yeah. deal to just yeah. Rock fans I'm, everywhere. I'm pretty sure when we played that as well, I'm pretty sure Motley Crue came out to our dressing room as well. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm sure it was then, because I know they came up. I don't think they might have just released their first album. Or, yeah. No, they did. That, that's that about the same time. Up, they, came up to the, they came up to the dressing that, room to say hello, you know. So. That, that's and, cool. And, that's back when they were good. I mean, that was, that was killer. Those two nights were absolutely killer because we did two oh, shows. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And, two and, shows a night, and that was like, woof, two full sets. Well, Metallica, all they did was Diamond Head covers. <laughs> I think they did a Sweet Savage cover, uh, right. six or seven Diamond Head songs, and oh, okay, maybe a Motorhead song, and, and then they, I think they had two originals, Hit the Lights and probably Mechanics, which later turned into Four Horsemen. Anyway, oh, okay. I wanted to bring that up and just kind yeah, of yeah. throw that in the air because yeah. I, I think. Yeah, I mean, was, also, also that year we were do, we were with yeah. There was, as I said, there was Triumph, yeah, Molly Hatchet, Triumph, Rainbow, and Cheap Trick. Huge. Oh man, that's a big you know, deal. So we were like jumping all over the place. You know, yeah. we used to do about three or four shows with Triumph, and then I think we did a load of shows with um, Cheap Trick, and then suddenly end up. You know, we went but came back to England, I think, and then we went out again and ended up doing a couple more shows with Triumph, and it was mm. it was bizarre, you know. So, well, did you had you toured the United States prior to joining Saxon? Oh, okay. So, so your first uh, your first experience coming to America is is as the drummer for Saxon, yeah. and as a as a as a British guy coming to America. What was your first impression of this country when you got here? I because I always well, ask. I think our first. I'm trying to think. Our first gig, I think, was Minneapolis, and all I all I remember. I mean, checking and thinking, yeah, I'm in the states now. Yeah, checking into the hotel, and then of course with jet lag, I was awake at about four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> wandering around this strange hotel. You know, wondering where the hell I was. And my first impression was because it was. It was like January, and then like the bloody snow was like about eight foot up on the side of the roads. So I was like, "Geez, you know." Yeah. <laughs> so remember? much for palm trees and uh, yeah, bikinis, exactly. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you I like remember. snow, but geez, you know, it's like God. <laughs> you remember where, where was it? Uh, were you guys on a like a little theater tour, a club, a lar large clubs, or? No, it was a theatre. It was a, it was Molly Hatchet. Oh, so it, was, it was the Molly was the Hatchet tour. Molly okay. Hatchet in Minneapolis, okay. I think it was. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 but it was every. It's like uh, once you would do a leg with Molly Hatchet, for example, did you like play through and some like you played two nights at the Whiskey? Did you were you doing uh, stuff like that in between? Um, Generally, no. As far as I can remember, there weren't a lot of, there weren't on the Molly Hatchet tour. I mean, it may be wrong. I'm trying to think. Jeez, I mean, this is like ages yeah, ago. Yeah, for, yeah, we're going to move um, forward. 
We're going I don't to think we were doing any club gigs as such. Okay. So, so the tour I need to bring up is, is the Power and the Glory tour because uh, it, it's, it's your first uh, studio album with Saxon. You made your first yeah. appearance on a Saxon album on the live album, The Eagle Has Landed. Yeah. And you had been touring with Saxon, but your first uh, studio album as an, I guess, a, an official member with a, a you know, a, a, a studio album was The Power and the Glory. Yeah. And I saw you on that tour. It was my second concert ever. And the bill was you were sandwiched between Fastway and Iron Maiden on the Peace of Mind tour. Yeah. And uh, to this day, I, that may still be one of the best triple bills I ever saw. And and, you know, all these years later, it's just uh, I, I still kind of pinch myself even today as we're sitting here talking. I'm like, I, I can't believe I have this guy's phone number, you know. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, I, I, all my all my friends from high school are pretty jealous of this. So um, I, I, I wanted to know I wanted to ask you what you remember of that tour, because that album and that tour seemed seemed like Saxon was primed to break America and, 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 and yeah. move on to the next level. So yeah. share a little bit about that time frame. Yeah, that album I, mean, that well, I mean, it was a, it was a great tour. It was a great bill. And I mean, in the charts at the time while we were touring our album and their album was doing this in the U S charts, mm -hmm. you know, and it was, I mean, we were going down a storm. I mean, a lot of people say at some shows we were absolutely smoking them. Yeah. Know? I mean, I like Iron Maiden. I know that. I know Steve and Nico really well. They're good friends, you know, and everything. So, but I mean, we were a few gigs. We were smoking them definitely. But I wow. think the problem was that we weren't, whether it was our agent or someone, we weren't on the whole tour. Mm. I mm. think if we'd done the whole tour, we would have. I think we would have broken. So we were starting to make really good headway, and then we left. Is this a classic case of the label pulling the band off the road to try and get another album out when you're still trying to capitalize on the momentum of tour? No, no I, don't, I don't think it was. I think it was the fact that, I'm, to be quite honest with you, I'm not quite sure what went down. I have a feeling it was we weren't confirmed for the whole tour. Right. Okay. That's, un that's unfortunate. When you're, <clears throat> it was because I mean we could have we could have definitely broken off that. Well, but if you're looking at it from a numbers standpoint. The, the greatest thing that would have happened is that, that 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 deal would have been you would have been confirmed for the whole leg for the yeah. whole thing because you're introducing yourself to Iron Maiden fans and maybe there's people you know it the simpatico and the yay we're all bros and whatever that's great um, by the way I want to mention with with Fastway and you guys and Maiden to me yeah. that's almost like um, a heavenly dessert of new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you kind of think about historically as a fan yeah. and you're an American and you only hear about these legendary bands that started this movement in the late seventies and then just kind of climbed out of the, you know, the shitholes of England and like take over the world with heavy metal. Yeah. That was the place to be. That show had, we got fast Eddie. I you mean, guys, that, you know, guys. I mean, that, I mean that—that's that, incredible. That, I mean, that was a great tour. It was brilliant. Yeah. It's 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 frustrating when you think, yeah, we could have. I can't remember who joined after us. I think some band beginning with M or something. I think I can't. 
can't remember who it was, but um, no, that was really frustrating. That yeah. Well, for well, for me, it was a mind blower, and I'm you know many years older today, and I still talk about that bill, and uh, it's it's etched in my brain. And it, as you know, Jason me and, says, me and David didn't know each other, but we were both at that show. Yeah, we yeah we didn't know each other at the time, um, but. Then comes Crusader, and uh, Crusader did sort of uh, make a mark in America. Um, yeah. uh, so talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, a, a slightly different sounding album to my ears, yeah. maybe. So yeah. was that intentional, or was that just the natural evolution of the band at that time? Um, no, I mean, the, the band was just writing as we wrote. So, you know, I mean, it, it's almost like you can... You know, when we play Crusader live, you know, I mean, it just sits along Power and the Glory sound-wise because it's the band, you yeah, know. Sure. I think, I think a lot of it we were getting a bit of, um, our manager was like sort of pushing us a bit to maybe check. He was looking at us to break America. Yeah. He yeah. thought, well, maybe we should use this other producer and stuff, which was a big mistake. I mean, Kevin Beach was a really nice guy. But he wasn't. He was the wrong guy for us, totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, I think a lot if, of America... If, if Jeff Glixman... I would have liked to have heard Crusader with Jeff Glixman producing it again, who did Power and the Glory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, he was great. He was great to work with. Um, and I think it was, you know, it got a bit sort of... I think we were maybe getting a bit pushed and influenced, you know, because you had all these other bands doing, you know, ballads and stuff here. They said, oh, yeah, do, you know, write a ballad. And it was like, oh, and Kevin Beamish was like doing, oh, let's do a load of backing vocals. And it was like, what, you know? <laughs> this is but you just think, But you think these people are like sort of, well, you know, yeah, maybe they, you know, they know more than we know. Right, right. So you go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for American audiences, and I and I think even to this day, I, I think a lot of people hold Crusader up as as a, as an equal to Power and the Glory in many yeah, they respects. Do. Yeah, it's a it's a well regarded record. Um, it, it maybe didn't quite have the same I don't know heavy metal fire as Power and the Glory. Yeah, exactly. Maybe a little polish. Maybe yes. Little, yes. But, but but definitely uh, one of the standout albums in the Saxon catalog. As long as as long as uh, and I think you guys will concur the the idea behind uh, you know what I feel about Saxon is the anthem. You guys have the anthem. You know, yeah. Crusader is an anthem. Oh you know, yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, Power and the Glory is an anthem. It's faster, but it's still a yeah. fucking anthem. Yeah, it's yeah. like those. Uh, it's like those deep cuts on on uh, Judas Priest record. It, they, they write anthems. You yeah, know, they do. United is an anthem. Take yeah. on the world is an anthem. Yeah. You guys and Priest have that. That's why you guys are such a great team. Yeah, you guys and Priest because yeah. you guys have that. Even when you're doing something different, people are still going. I know why I wear these guys on my sleeve as a fan mm. and i think mm. that that's it it's not the maybe someone talked you into doing a ballad it's not that that the fans walk away from i i really i highly doubted that someone bought your record because they heard the ballad that you did right totally <laughs> yeah. agree yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, not that it's a bad song, but it wasn't really no. us, you know no, no one's yeah. no one's you even know? saying that that's not even a contest I'm yeah. just saying what people walk away from, they're carrying a torch. They're not crying, holding I mean, the flower. You know, the, the, 
Yeah, I guess, you know, the females in the audience used to love it when we play that, you know. Yeah. That, on that tour, I think we only played it a few times, actually, on that tour. And then, you know. Here's the deal, not just the females. I really yeah. think that that if it's a good song is a good song and it's sure. a, yeah. I know of course I know what you mean. It's could be aimed that way. It could could sway yeah. it that way if you think too hard about it, but I don't I don't think it so. It was I mean it was like, you know, it was like that song um uh Northern Lady off Rock the Nations. Yeah. yeah. Same sort of thing. When we used to play yeah. that in the States, they're going mad. Yeah. 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 But that was a heavier song. It wasn't, you know, there weren't many damn backing vocals on it and stuff, right it, you know, it didn't was, have didn't have it was all raw even though it was a ballad of, it was more raw yeah it didn't have all of the sweetener it didn't have all exactly. the sugar yeah. poured on top right so so speaking of northern lady uh i wanted to ask you uh the album rock the nation that 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 song appears on um yeah. that uh northern lady features elton john is that right that's right and yeah. uh, and in Elton is on a second song on that album called "Party Till You Puke." That's right. Um, so, <laughs> which to me doesn't sound like a Saxon song. It sounds like a, a Quiet Riot or a Steel Panther song or whatever. But you're obviously having having some fun with it. Yeah, and we were having. We were. Having, I mean, we recorded that album in, in uh, Holland in Whistlelord Studios, and there was another studio there, and Elton was in there with all his band. And and it was great. Actually, it was through that I became really good friends with Charlie Morgan, who was drumming with Elton at the time. Mm. And um, but it, it was like Elton Elton's band and Elton were in our studio all the time listening to us. It was like we had to keep going, do your own work, you know. Wow. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, so wait a minute. You're you're shooing Elton John out of your studio. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> get out of here Elton. we're trying to work and he sort of said oh i'd like to play on a couple of things so he's got his his roadie to wheel in his electric grand piano you know wow and, and there we go it was great we had great fun there i mean he was hilarious you know oh my god I can, I can only imagine i uh jason's I, a huge elton john fan I, I can't uh i i can't believe this because uh you know it wasn't even on my mental block of uh questions that i wanted to throw into this fire here that we're having but holy shit that's that i i actually almost forgot and then you brought it up just now and i started reeling so the fact that you guys you know are in there and elton's hanging his whole band was davy johnstone there yeah, he was there. Yeah. Holy Christ. Yeah, they were coming in, in and out in like, you know, sort of couple and three or four. The whole band wasn't in there at once. But I mean, it sure, was yeah. like they were nosing in. I mean, we had a great laugh dinner time at the studio. Oh, we were, I can we, only imagine. I would have wanted we to. We used to eat at the studio and it had this huge sort of conservatory, which was like the restaurant place. So they were, you know, both bands were there. And there was, um, there was a third studio with a, oh, I can't remember that, but it was a Dutch keyboard player. I think he plays with a band called Kayak, and he he was in there doing some programming and stuff. And so, but it was I mean it was just great fun. And we'd ordered this um, <clears throat> uh, this sort of Indonesian rice table, which like so they just bring it's almost like a buffet. Right, all comes in you know in those metal containers, you know, yeah, like take out, yeah, yeah like a catering. They have all sure. loads of that. Yeah. Maybe so we'd all be there drinking beer because there was a bar. It was great. It was the atmosphere was just wow. brilliant. You know. Oh man, what year was that? It was. It was hilarious. There was. A, I mean, there was a really funny story because, I mean, apart from a couple of people, it was all Brits. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, so we had a couple of crew with us. Elton had a few crew with him, so we're all sitting in there, and I think it was. 
I think it was the, the Soccer World Cup. Mm. And um, I think we'd had a bit of a thing. There was something going on. I can't remember what it was, but um, it might have been to do with the Ar Argentina sort of hand of God, Maradona or whatever, which was the big, where he, he tricked the referee and actually threw the bloody ball in the net. <laughs> it's called the hand of god and he knocked england out of the world cup oh. you know. but there was something like that something went down anyway and this guy walked in who was a friend of the barman the bar star there and he walked in in a full argentina football strip and as one 20 to 30 brits just looked round at him <laughs> he wasn't there long <laughs> i bet he wasn't no, looks he could kill, he would have been dead in 10 steps. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a Tesla coil. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, like X-Men shit. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell, wow. tell us about, uh, speaking of good times, tell us about the tour you did with Motley Crue. What year was that? What album were you on? And uh, Motley, Motley Crue were on their shouts at the devil. Okay. So what album would we have been on? What year was that? I can't remember what damn year it was. Shout was 83. 83. Was it? Yeah. So I guess you're on Power 83. and the Glory? So maybe yeah, maybe it was Pat. Maybe it was like we did that after the after the Maiden tour, maybe. Okay. Yeah, that would have been, yeah, Pat. No, that was that was good fun. That was great fun. I'm sure. You know, it yeah. was something. They were a great band life. Yeah, you, know, uh, you, were, you told me one time that uh, that at that period in time, Nikki Six was running around biting people on the arms, or, or, or oh no, no, me or, and Nick actually, I used to get on with Nikki, great actually. I, I found him the most personable of the lot, actually. Yeah, um, we started. I don't know who started it, but we started having this arm punching competition. That's what it was. You know, you you just punch the same place, you know, so gets and, and I beat him. <laughs> this, this went on for about a week, I think. And yes, it was just one day I came, I went down, I think it was lunchtime or dinner time. And he was in the restaurant at the hotel. I said, Come on, then, come on, let's have it. And he went, No more, no more. <laughs> well, of course, you beat him. You're a drummer and he's a skinny, skinny <laughs> dude from, uh, you know, <laughs> LA. By he was, he was yeah. a nice guy. I got on, you know, he, he was the, I found him the most personable. He's but it was great because, um, the last gig of the tour, um, I can't remember who, I think it was just me and Dobby, I think. So we sort of kind of sort of uh, got a bit dressed up as women, <laughs> you know. And you you guys of, did? Yeah. yeah just, you know, just put a bit of lipstick on, you know, and stuff and like charged up on stage for one of their songs. I can't remember. Oh, she's got looks that kill or something. Uh, so I was singing backing vocals with Nikki at his mic, you know. It was great. We had a great laugh. <laughs> so the, so then um there's a point where um that you leave saxon uh yeah. for, for a number of years and um during that time i don't i don't think a lot of people know about this so i want to spend a few minutes on this you actually did some work with asia is that right well that was um later the first thing the first thing was um i joined gtr with steve howe Okay, right. Oh, wow. That was the first. That was the first thing, and um, so he went. You know, their first, their first album had been pretty successful in in America. Yeah, and everywhere. So, and originally Steve Hackett was in the band, but he left. 
Okay. Um, so Steve and I, I went over and had a blast with them and we went straight and well, started writing stuff and um, started recording the second album and Jeff Downs was producing, which leads us to the Asia ah, thing. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, we just about did nearly finished a second album and then, then the record company pulled the plug. Hmm. Okay. I think there was, I don't know whether there was some, because I mean, I wasn't signed. So I think only Steve, actually, Steve was the only one signed, I think. So I think maybe there was some sort of politics going on somewhere. I've, I've no idea, but we we were kept getting messages from the record company saying, no, it's a bit too art rock stroke proggy. Can you make it a bit more commercial? So that would happen. And then they go, no, we want it back the other way. And it was like, you were like, <laughs> And uh, it was pretty good. I mean, it's actually, the album has actually come out in an unmixed form. I don't know who who got hold of the tapes, but it has been, you can get hold of it, but it sounds pretty dreadful because it's totally unmixed. But, yeah. you know, for, for those sort of completists, it is out there, the second album. All right. Okay. Yeah, it, was, it was a shame because it would, if, if we'd had all the time to do it, to finish it off, it would have been great, you know. But then, and then straight after that, well, a little while after that, Steve was, um, <clears throat> he'd been asked to play on this album, um, Guitar Speak, which was, I think, Miles Copeland's label. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was all different, yet Steve was doing a track on it. I think Ronnie Montrose did a track on it, Leslie West. It was just all name guitarists doing a track. Right. So he asked me to play on his, so that was great. And then I did two more tracks with him for a solo album for him. And then I got the call from Asia. Yeah. Did you record anything <clears throat> with Asia that, like, charted? Were you, what album were you on? Aqua. Aqua. That's it, yeah. Okay. So what's the timeline on, on that? When, when did that album come out? Uh, 91, I think it was. Okay, so it's, it's obviously after Asia. I think was it 91? Um, yeah, I mean, it was um, John Wetton had left, so it was the other singer, John Payne. Oh, okay, okay. So he was on it. That was the first album with him on it. So I did, uh, I think it was three tracks on Aqua, and then I did about another five tracks, which five or six tracks, which, which appeared on a couple of compilation albums later. Yeah, I, I always thought that was an interesting footnote in your career because Asia, of course, had <clears throat> massive success here in America on the debut yeah. album. Uh, of course, by the time you're in the band, it's a slightly different band. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But but I, I always thought it was interesting that, that that you were part of that project because uh, Carl Palmer was the uh, drummer in Asia previous. Yeah, um, and he's he's widely regarded as an excellent drummer. So they, yeah. they're obviously looking for a great drummer, and you obviously fit the bill. So I thought that was, oh. was really cool. <laughs> well, it's, no, and, yeah. and, and plus the fact it was—I mean, it was really convenient for me because they were recording here in my hometown. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> right, you know that was just that was a doddle, you know. Yeah, but uh, also I think Dave's right is they knew uh, they they needed someone who oh shit Carl Palmer will. Nigel can do it. Yeah, I can yeah. do it. So I mean, yeah. there was there was me on it. I think Simon Phillips was on oh, a couple cool. of tracks, I think. So yeah. Yeah. It was a bit of a mixture, you know. Slouches so you need not apply. Yeah, you were in there with other <laughs> you were in there with other badasses, is what you're yeah. really. Yeah, I mean it was great. We were actually the tracks I did. Well, 
I did some um, some tracks earlier on, which I did up in London, but uh, that was basically just with Jeff, mm. actually. And um, but they ended up on these Asia compilations. I think Jeff got them out, and John sang on them, and blah blah blah. Mm. But um, no, we did the recording actually in an old Methodist church. It was oh, great, wow. you know. Wow, it was really I, cool. So now, now um, before Saxon, you were yeah. playing with Toya. Yeah. And and uh, American audiences are are probably not familiar uh I'm, I'm not. I'm about to get schooled. Yeah, okay. And probably a bunch of our listeners, so pay attention kids. Shit, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm paying attention. Yeah, here comes your history lesson. Um so so Nigel prior to joining uh Saxon was in a band called Toya uh, that was actually uh very popular in the UK and and probably and maybe elsewhere in Europe I don't know if if that's yeah, accurate. I mean, it was it was the UK mainly. Okay. And so for those who don't know Toya was led by uh a female singer I I assume she goes by the name Toya is that yeah, is Toya, that Toya yeah she's married to Robert Fripp. Right. She's married wow. to Robert King Fripp Crimson. from yeah. King Crimson. Yeah, and um, I'll, I, give them a li- I'll give them a little plug there. If you go on YouTube, they've got Robert and Toya's Sunday Lunch. Yes. Videos on YouTube, and they do all these cover versions, and they are hilarious. They're hilarious, think, yes. Yeah. And they share them on Facebook as well, and, and you know I've seen I'm, a few. I'm, I might have seen one of those and not realize yeah. what the fuck I'm watching. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's Toya crazy. and Robert Fripp. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, so, Nigel... Um, you're going to have to forgive me in my in my ignorance as an American, but Toya, to me, from what little I know, it was if I was going to explain this to people that aren't familiar, and I don't want to oversimplify it, so I want you to correct me, but I almost view Toya without having listened to a lot of the music as almost sort of a cross between, say, um, a blondie meets missing persons with maybe a little bit of cabaret thrown in. Am I in the ballpark or not at all? Yeah, I guess. I'd add a bit of Susie and the Banshees as well. Ah, okay. There you go. There you go. So that that's kind of, that kind of thing. We were both sort of both bands were sort of happening around that period. So Right. Okay. Yeah. Susie and the Banshees makes sense. So you're you're pretty big and you've got a you've got a pretty good gig with oh, yeah. Toyo when you get the call from Saxon. So yeah. uh what convinces you to jump ship at that time? Because you're you're doing pretty well with Toya. Oh yeah, we're doing. I mean, we were actually bigger than Saxon at the time, right? Um, but I, I mean, I was always like sort of. I guess I was always. I hate this sounds an awful term, but I, I guess I was a bit more of a rocker at heart, you know. Sure. I, I enjoy. I enjoyed the Toya stuff because it really made me think, percussion-wise, of things. Because I was listening to a lot of. I mean, I listen to a lot of stuff now, but at that time. I was listening to a lot of band, you know, like new wavy art rock bands like Japan and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested in the percussion drumming side of all this. So, wow. so that was that was a great outlet. But then, but then again, I was listening to Rush, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. it was like, oh, hang on, I can, I, you know. Well, in, in Toya, in Toya, did you have double kicks? No. Okay. I could have done actually. Funnily enough, because it was it was almost like the new wave thing. It was absolutely forbidden to have double kicks. You know, it was almost well, no, well, you know, well, no hold on. kicks only. You know, well, you I know, mean, I had a load of toms. I had eight. I was going to say, yeah. Dave, Dave uh, mentioned uh, Dave mentioned missing persons, and uh, yeah. you know, he had double kicks. 
Yeah, he did. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, he had I double mean, kicks, and he used the shit about up. it. I should have had double kicks. Mental, really, but... mental hopscotch. He's like thrashing that. Oh yeah, yeah. I love missing persons. Oh my god, I love. I love watching. I love watching the 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 US festival. You know the Oh my god, especially. Especially that that song, Mental Hopscotch, because yeah. they're playing everything faster. I think they have yeah. a time constraint. Yeah. The wind is blowing, and they're just thrashing it. Oh, That's it's great. so awesome. No, I, I mean, if I could go back, then I'd have double kicks. Because funnily enough, after I left, Simon Phillips joined. Oh, okay. Interesting. Wow. Double kicks. Right. Wow. Right. But uh, <laughs> basically, I mean, I almost, without the double kicks, I mean, I had like the sort of Terry Bozio setup. I had eight rototoms. You know, oh, that was the thing, a regular kick drum, but eight rotors. I guess like the look of it, you know. That like, is yeah. the early 80s yeah. setup. The the guy, uh, Rob Hunter and uh, Raven had <clears throat> the rotos and he had the double kicks. Yeah, so. I mean, a lot of I mean a lot of people started using rotos, actually. I mean, a bit later on, it was like Mike Mangini when he joined Extreme. Yeah. You know, he had rotos. Yes. Yeah. You know, but... Um, no, I mean, I think if, if looking back on it now, it was, as I say, it was, it was a great thing because, I mean, you know, I was listening to all this stuff like Susie and the Banshees and, and all these things. I really loved all of what they were doing with the drums and stuff. I mean, yeah. Budgie, who was Susie's drummer, great drummer, brilliant, wow. you know. Yeah. Um, but then again, as I said, you know, I was I was listening to rock music. I always remember Phil, the bass player in Toya. I introduced him to Rush. Yeah, you know, good and for he you. Was like, you know, um, moving pictures. I think was it moving pictures? I think it was moving pictures. And we even talk about it now. They oh said, yeah. Oh, thanks for introducing yeah. me to it, them. You know. It would have been if it was like 1980. Then it would have been moving pictures. Yeah, it was 1981. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. And we, yeah. you know, I'd stay, I'd crash at his place, you know, when we were doing toy of rehearsals and stuff. Yeah. And we'd just stay up all night drinking beer and bloody listening to Rush, you know. It was just great, you know. <laughs> there were all a lot. And all that sort of stuff, you know. 1980, 81, there were a lot of young people staying up all night drinking beer, listening to Rush. Damn right. Damn right. <laughs> no, so, <it> <laughs> <laughs> so, so you uh, you've told this story before, but for our listeners, if you could kind of give us the, the the quick version of it, you get the phone call from Saxon. You're 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 entertaining yeah. the idea of leaving Toya, joining Saxon, and you had about 15 minutes to prepare for a gig. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, a bit more than that, but. No, I mean I had no. I mean no. Originally, I mean I was you know I'm still living with my, with my parents, so it was Sunday, and I got a call from one of the managers who incidentally was the bass player in my first professional band. Mm, wow. And um, he said, what are you doing? I said, you know what I'm doing? He said, yeah, but what are you doing now? And I said, I'm just about to have Sunday lunch with my mother and father. Why? What's up? <laughs> so he told me, he said, Pete Gill at this. So this was Sunday. He said, yeah, Pete Gill had injured his hand or something and couldn't play. And Saxon had a gig on the Wednesday. They were starting a tour on the Wednesday. Wow. And um, could I do it? You know, because I used to do a lot of session work as well. And with session work, you have to work fast, you know, to yeah. learn stuff. Right. And um, so I said, well, you know, he said, we've tried other people. We can't get home. No one, you know, I said, use me as a last resort. I mean, I know damn well what he did. 
he just sat by his phone for half an hour, rang me back, said, you're on, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> I know, exactly, you know. That's I said, okay, we have to hang on a minute. Okay, so I had to drive up to London, picked him, went to his place, picked him up, and then we drove up north of London where Saxon were rehearsing in, uh, in an old disused cinema. Oh, that's cool. And uh, I always remember it was a bit like, it was a bit sort of, the atmosphere was a bit like sort of, woe is me, oh God, what are we going to do? <laughs> I remember I rolled up, got out of the car. I remember Biff and he was like leaning against, I don't know, something he was just outside leaning against a stone wall or something like that. I can't remember what it was or drinking a cup of tea or something. He looked at me as if like, what the bloody hell is this? Right. Oh, shit. There was me in yellow jeans, you know, and stuff. And he was in like Mr. Metal, you know, yeah. like they all were, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you were dressed. My, you my were dressed. Was, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drop an F bomb, but my idea was I'll effing show you what's about. Right. Me and my Susie in the Banshees costume will fucking exactly. rock your ass <laughs> off. Exactly. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, yeah, exactly. So I got up, you know, and they had another guy there. Well, they had two guys there, and I was sort of waiting for my turn to have a blast, you know. And um, so I got up and played a couple of songs with them, and I hadn't played double kick for four years. Wow. I used to play double kick before Toya, you see. Okay. In my first pro band, but I hadn't once I got into sessions. It was like, no, we don't want all that, you know. And um, so we played it all the stuff, and they said, yeah, okay, you're on. And I thought, bollocks. They said, we're going to have one of the other guys that's going to sit behind you because I said, I can only stay a week. Oh, I was due to go into the studio again. There was talk about me and Toya going in, you know, like Susie did. Um, she did this other, this sort of project, side project with Budgie, the drummer called The Creatures, which mm. was just her and drums, basically. So me and Toya were talking about doing something maybe a bit similar, but I might add a few little keyboard things. We were talking about that. I mean, it was like, you know, it wasn't definite, but I said, I can only stay a week. <clears throat> so they said, right, we'll have this other guy behind you and he'll learn the set for when you have to leave. So I thought, great, okay. First gig was in my hometown and I'd bought tickets for it. <laughs> Before you knew you wow. were going to be in the band. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That, tickets for it, that right? doesn't happen very often. No. And because uh, I, I mean, I like the band, so I knew some of the sure. stuff. I mean, not, yeah. you know, I was familiar with some of it. Yeah. And we went down, so they had few, t we had about two days, um, spare days in this gig. So we had the drum kit was up in the dressing room. So I was playing through with, say, Paul and, and Dobby. So, because I had to learn the live endings. When you, you say, know, when some you of the say, records faded out. When you <clears> say Dobby, do you mean uh, Steve Dawson? Steve Dawson, yeah. right. Thank you. There'd be, oh, Graham would be there, whatever. And then we take the drum kit down because Pete Gill had this sort of high percussion kit that was on wheels. It was all like, oh, it was like a modular thing. So it just, and then to go down, so I'd learn four songs, go down onto the stage, they work out the lights, they play through that, and then back up in the dressing room, learn another, you know, it's like, oh, God. Wow. Anyway, um, <clears throat> got through the first gig, that was all right. My first thought was people were going to think, who the hell's this on the drums? Who's that? That's not Pete Gill. You 
<laughs> well, and they, I guess it went they, all right. I mean, I, I screwed one thing up, but I don't think anyone noticed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, are you? Are, are you? I mean, when you kind of like think about what had what was going on with Saxon to these stories, which are fantastic, by the way, uh, had Saxon created? I mean, they were. I mean, they started in like '78, right? '77. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, and so they by this time this is eighty ish, eighty one. Eighty one. Yeah, I mean that's a handful of years. Saxon has uh, has. Oh yeah, I mean this was a big tour. I mean the Brighton Center's the big gig here. You had know? three records out, correct? Four. Four, Four records. That's, that's what I'm. Basically, I was doing. I was doing the denim and leather tour. Right. Right. Pete and that's, played on, right. Pete had played on the album, but I was doing the tour. Right. Okay. Uh, so they were they were a big deal in that yeah. area. Oh yeah! Like no wonder someone would go. No wonder you would think that. Oh, who the hell is this guy on the drums? That's not exactly. Pete. Who the hell is this? Where's Pete Gill? I get it. Yeah. You know? And the thing was, after that first gig, I never saw the guy who was meant to be learning the stuff behind me gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, it probably got intimidated. Exactly what had gone on. Dave, who was the manager, thought, "Now I'll get Nigel in the band. We'll let, we'll get him in the band." So he probably pissed this guy off. Said, "Go away." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it, was and, all, it was all a big plan, you know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And and you've been there ever since. So I guess I guess well, it worked I've, out. I've left a couple of times, shall we yeah. say? Yeah. So, but, so but I always remember. I mean, the last uh, the gig we were doing with, um, oh God, what the hell was it? It was. Um, I'm trying to think of the gig. Anyway, one gig, one gig we did. I said, I've got to go. You know, I've got to go. And. <clears throat> I was fast asleep in, in bed in my room. Suddenly the, the door got kicked in and I woke up and they're all sitting around the end of my bed <laughs> in the dark and said, look, we want you to join. Wow. <laughs> so, I said, so I said, F off, I'll tell you in the morning. Uh, you're right. I was going to say, this can't wait till tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> no, you're getting them back. You're getting them back for that. Like, hey, wait. No, you know, it's a wait around half an hour. I'm just going to make this look professional. Right. <laughs> Made them wait a little and bit. That was it. And then I went wow. down the next day. We were in Bristol, I think, and said, yeah, okay. Fantastic. So you you did uh you did leave Saxon um and obviously came back but um what 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 caused you to leave and then eventually come back was that was that some sort of health situation or that was the second time the second time so yeah the second time I ripped a muscle between my neck and my shoulder right and you did some gigs in a neck brace I think didn't you no no that, no, no. No, no. you're getting me mixed up with Alex Van Halen. He right, I, I knew he did. So, okay, and tell us. Because I didn't know what I'd done. So tell us uh, why the reason for the first departure, and what time was that? The first departure was uh, 87. That's when I went and joined GTR. Okay, all right. And then, uh, and then, there was, and then you came back? I came back, yeah. Right, and then how long were you back before you left again? Uh, that would have been 10 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I knew there was a 10 year gap yeah, at some point. It was after, um, Unleash the Beast. Okay. And then, um, one of the interesting things, uh, and I, and I'm probably jumping ahead to your, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
But one of the one of the interesting things about your one of your departures, and I think it was the the more recent one when you had the the health issue with, I don't I don't want to I don't know if it's called accurate to call it a brain aneurysm, but you had oh some, that no, that wasn't oh, I mean I didn't know there was no there was no departure as such that was uh, that was at the end of 2014. Right. So what I'm getting at here is there was a there was a point when Udo Dirk Schneider's son filled in for you and he's worked as your drum tech, I believe. My drum tech, yeah. Yeah. So tell us how Sven Dirk Schneider came into your life and into the picture and into the Saxon family. No, I mean, he's just, you know, because a lot of our crew are German. Okay. And I think he was putting it about that he wanted to be, you know, maybe he mentioned to our tour manager or whatever. Um, that, or maybe Udo had or something because we know Udo really well and everything and um, it's funny oh yeah Sven's going to be your I went great okay so that's how that happened and then when the brain when the bursts brain aneurysm happened mm. um, we had we had I think we had seven shows left on the tour and I think the promoter was being a bit a bit ahead of himself, you know. Oh yeah, we'll just reschedule for February, and this was December. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'm going to be fully fit by then, aren't I? You know, yeah. Right. And in the end, result was um, Sven did them. Wow. Because he knew the songs because he'd been sitting behind me. Yeah, he, so he played. He played my kit. He was sure. your right hand man, so yeah, he was your. Yeah, he played my kit. I mean, I got up when they played in London. Um, I went up to the gig, obviously, and then, you know, I wanted to have a sit down behind my kit and sound check, see if I could actually bloody play. Yeah. Right. Because you know, I'd been in hospital for a month. Oh, yeah. God. And, and, um, how did it feel? It was, it was, it was, I'll tell you what the weird thing was being, I mean, basically, I was bedridden for a month. Yeah. It's your muscles just waste. I mean, I, out of, you know, out of shape. I, had to, I literally had to, I had in, a, in in the room. I had my bag and my clothes in on the floor, so I thought, you know, once you know, I got out of bed and sort of, oh, I need something like that. I couldn't get up again. Yeah, mm. you know, the muscles in my legs are just gone. You know, so, so when you so they really you, built up. But anyway, so I got back on the drums. We did seven four seven, which is great, and uh, so I did it during the show. So I got up and did seven four seven during the gig. Yeah, nice. And the crowd went nuts. Yeah, it was it, yeah. was, it was great, you know. But I couldn't have done any more. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I had to build up again. But but I mean, by I think by March April, I was back on tour again. Fantastic. That's incredible. And I was going to ask. Well, the funny thing was, the funny thing was that it was that um, we then we went. Later on, we did, we went on tour with Motorhead, and we played in Newcastle, which is where I was in hospital. So I invited the surgeon to the gig. Yeah, we had a few beers afterwards, and I said, you know, he said, "You're an effing freak." He said, "I wasn't expecting you to be able to play drums for at least eighteen months." Well, yeah, and, and I mean, there was a time when they weren't even sure you were going to make it, let alone play. Oh, yeah, drums. I, was, I mean, I was that close to. Yeah. Going. Yeah, he called you a freak of nature for good. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. yeah, and so, um, um, so after something like that, it's been a number of years now. But do, just to bring us up to date, do you do you do you have to go for regular checkups to get the all clear, or are they you're just you're up and running a hundred percent? I'm up and running. 
that's you know, fantastic. It's, it's uh, I had to go for a while. I had to go and see like a local surgeon yeah. down here just to check up, and I had to have a CT scan thing, and they pumped. Um, oh god, I don't know what the hell it was. Some sort of radioactive or some fluid through you. Yeah. Which is so they can see where the blood's going. That was the most bizarre feeling ever. You know. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, kind I'm of in high. this room and they're pumping this stuff into me, which obviously and they're not in the room. It's only me, so it's obviously something dodgy. Yeah. They're not dodgy, you know. But it's yeah. like when you have an X-ray, everyone leaves, don't they? You yeah. Know? Yeah. You. Yeah. And wow. I felt the weird thing. Right, we're going to start pumping this stuff in now, and I felt I felt it. It was warm. Yeah, and I felt it go right around my body, in my mouth, my tongue, everything. It was the most bizarre feeling ever. But um, yeah, I had to go and see this guy, and he said, "No, I'm signing you off now. Done." Boom. That's amazing. Well, yeah, said, you know, I've got a titanium clip because they went in. So I've got a clip. I was a bit nervous. I thought it might be like spinal tap, you know, going through the X-ray. <laughs> can you? So can yeah. you get through? Do you have trouble getting the X-ray and going beep and like? Come on, right, come on, then take those trousers off, and it's metal in them. Beep! I, I just had visions of me being totally starkers and still going through going beep. You know? Yeah, you're, you're wearing your bird suit walking through. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they said, no, titanium won't, so it doesn't set it off. So, so. Yeah, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> well, joking aside, uh, we're, we're thrilled that, uh, that you made such a miraculous recovery, and not only that you're healthy, but you're back to playing drums and uh and 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 uh recording and touring and all that good stuff yeah, yeah. yeah. so here's here's something that um i learned about nigel uh once we started uh -oh. since that we became familiar with each other that i would uh -oh. have never i would have never guessed this and uh it turns out nigel's actually a, a big new york dolls fan mm -hmm. i had i would have <laughs> never guessed that so tell yeah. me how but did you discover the New York Dolls? That doesn't and, surprise me. That well, after the talk of Toya and Susie and the Banshees and yeah. that sort of thing, it, it's not. It maybe doesn't come as quite a shock. But, but Nigel, tell tell us uh, how you discovered the New York Dolls and what the appeal was, because you're you're to this day a big fan. <laughs> I don't know. I think it, I think it was just a sort of. I mean, I love the image of it. I thought the image was just great, you know. But I was into all these sort of, you know. Um, Bands like the Stooges, MC5, all that stuff. I just love it, you know, yeah. and I still do. You know, to me, I think um, Funhouse, the second Stooges album, is just dynamite. Yeah. I really do. I mean, it's so in your face, but it's brilliant. The production is just great, you know. Yeah. And I just got into all these things. There was another, what was the other band? Flaming Groovies, that was another band. Mm. Yeah. And I just got into all these bands and the dolls were great because I just loved the image. And yeah. don't forget, I mean, around that time in England, we had like a lot of the glam rock thing was going with Bowie. Yeah. And <clears throat> Sweet. Yes. Yeah. We were very glam rock and all that mud and everything. And it was all that stuff. So I just loved the image. It was great, you know. And yeah. uh, <clears throat> no, I didn't. I mean, I didn't think they were the, the best musicians in the world, but I just thought what they did was great. Yeah. Did you and ever? I, and I love what the other thing that David Johansson's done. You know, what was it? Buster, Buster Point. Point. I love it. Oh, God, it's just hot, brilliant. Hot, hot. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hot, hot, hot. Through the whiskey in the well. <laughs> <laughs> so did, have you ever had a chance to meet any of the, any of the dolls? Uh, I mean, obviously most of them are I think most dolls. of them are dead now, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but did you ever get to meet well, Joe Hansen or David Johansson alive, isn't it? David is the only one alive. Yes. Yeah. No, I've never, never met them. No. Yeah. They were great. But as I say, you know, I was, I was into, you know, all these things like MC5. I love MC5, you know. Yeah. Those so, bands, those bands kind of changed to the playing field. Uh, yeah, they did. They yeah, did. They, they made it. And then after, after them in a, in the same sort of way, I mean, they, you know, and then you sort of come into like Grand Funk Railroad. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I sort of equate them as a follow on from these other sort of bands as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. I, could, I see the transition. I see how that works. Um, yeah. I think that the, the English glam against the American like uh, power trio or, you know, the Stooges and the Dolls and the Dead Boys and, the loud rock that was brash and kind of punk, but still yeah. had some cool hooks. Yeah, uh, was important, and they kind of complemented each other very, yeah. very much. And that was a very important time for what was to come in the eighties. And I think, you know, I think now let me think. Where did Steve Stevens get his image from? Johnny Hello, Sanders, I think. I think. Uh, yeah, a whole bunch of people got. Yeah. A bit. Yeah, I mean, how many? A bunch of people got their image from Johnny. We were talking about Nikki Six earlier. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Johnny Sun just cool, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, so take us back to your childhood. What, what was the moment when you got hooked on rock and roll? What, what, where was the aha moment where you went, "This is what I want to do." Oh well, that I mean, that this I want to do didn't come till a lot later. But I mean, you know, I've got a, a, a brother, I've got an older brother and he was like playing stuff to me, you know, when I was like five, five, six years old and I was listening to this stuff, you know. Yeah. And it was great. And, and then he, you know, I was in, we've got a band, there's a band over here at that period, which were like basically the sort of the British version of the Ventures called The Shadows. Oh, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. some guitar band, you know. Yeah. So I really got into all them and their drummer, actually. Their first drummer, Tony Meehan, was brilliant. And um, <clears throat> he le I think he left after the first album. They got another guy called Brian Bennett who was with them till they stopped playing. And I mean, he was, his solo on the second album just floored me. You know, I mean, I was only like seven years old. Yeah. You know, but it absolutely floored me, this thing. You know, I was listening to all this and I just... So I guess from an early age, I was just listening to music. What know? was the first record your older brother played for you that you recall? Probably Rock Around the Clock, I think. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, that, so what is was that? Bill is that Bill Haley? Yeah. 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 He's, yeah. Uh, he's yeah. from he's from Texas. I think he's from South Texas. Sure really? is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, he had all this. He had Elvis Presley, early Elvis yeah. Presley albums. Oh, great! And I used to listen to all. You know, he had the the forty fives with. Yeah. Um, I just want to be your teddy bear and all this stuff. On you know, yeah. he used to have all that, and I was just listening to that. He had Little Richard stuff. Yeah, amazing. And yeah. That's what got me in. That's what got me into music because I was just playing this stuff. You know. Yeah, yeah. What, what? How old were you when you got your first drum kit? 
Well, I did. It wasn't a proper kit. I got a, I got a snare drum and a cymbal when I was eight, I think it was. Wow. <clears throat> and then a couple of years later, or a year or so later, I got a bass drum and a and a tom and a hi hat. You know, and it sort of went from there. But but you know, and I, I was just listening to everything. I was just soaking it all up. Yeah. Yeah. Going on musically. Did you ever go see Slade play <clears throat> live? No. No. Okay. Funnily enough, we were on, what year was this? We were on a festival in Bulgaria and Dave Hill and, oh, what's the drummer's name? Anyway, the drum, um, I can't remember what his bloody name is now. Brain's gone. Um, anyway, they, it was Dave Hill's Slade. They were on the bill. Okay. At this festival we were on. So, wow. that's cool. That was, that was quite fun. Yeah. But I tell you, who was headlining the festival was Mike and the Mechanics. Oh. <clears throat> they were absolutely massive in Bulgaria. Wow! Genesis. When the wall, when the wall sort of thing came, the communism thing came down. Yeah, they were the highest played band in Bulgaria. And now, now Mike and the Mechanics is a spin-off of Genesis, right? Yes, it's uh, Mike Rutherford's band. Right. Okay. Yeah. They they had some, they had some uh, they had a hit or two over here in the states. Uh, oh yeah. In the MTV yeah. years, I remember. And funnily how- enough, the keyboard player on those early singles was Adrian, who was the keyboard player in Toya. Ah, full circle. Go. There you go. Yeah. So I, I want to, um, we'll, we'll let you go here soon because I know you're, you're past your dinner time and working on, we're getting, oh, close, stop it. There's no rush. Don't worry getting, about it. Getting <clears throat> bedtime now, yeah. <laughs> but, um, um, I've been, uh, I've been very impressed with the, the latest albums from Saxon. I mean, you guys have been, you know, since I'd say call to arms, sacrifice, uh battering ram um uh thunderbolt was great uh what am, i skipped one didn't i uh no, that's right. that's it. did i get them all okay so yeah. your past good, four good job dave it's right here man so <laughs> <laughs> your past I, I tell people, and, and the reason I bring this point up is because, um, you know, growing up in San Antonio, as I did, and uh, and continuing to live in Texas, there's a there's a big uh, heavy metal scene in Texas and especially in San Antonio. Even to this day, it's a little more underground now than it was maybe uh, in the in the 80s. But um, I keep telling people that. If you were a Saxon fan in the 80s, you owe it to yourself to pick up their latest albums. And the past four or five have just been fantastic. And if you were a fan of the, you know, Wheels of Steel, Power and the Glory, Crusader, that sort of thing, yeah. um, you owe it to yourself to check out some of these latest albums. And I know yeah. that, uh, here in the States, there's not the promotional push uh, that there used to be. You're not on the radio. There is no MTV um, so, so a lot of people kind of have lost touch with what's going on and may not even know that Saxon still exists until they see you yeah. on tour. And then sure. maybe they think it's just a, a greatest hits tour. And it's like, no, no, these guys have been putting out great records. Yeah. Yeah. So having said all that, what I wanted to get you to, to tell us is, um, out of all the Saxon albums you've played on one, number one, which do you think is your best performance and number two, which one is your sentimental favorite performance regardless? 
I think sentimental, sentimental, it's got to be Power and the Glory. Mm -hmm. because, yeah. because that was my first studio album and, and I, I felt I had something to prove. Yeah. Because Pete, Pete Gill was well loved and I thought, right, well, I've got to, you know. Yeah. And this would be the first time I'm writing with them. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I think from that point of view that, yeah. Power and the Glory. That's my favorite Saxon album. I now, think, I think that. I mean, there was some, for instance, but uh, I think from a um, from a sort of technique or like drumming wise, I think um, the actual track "Unleash the Beast" was like a high point for me. Yeah. But because I, I was just determined in the court in the chorus to do something out there, shall we say? Yeah. Yeah. Rather than just keeping a beat, I wanted to do something a bit more tribal, which is what it is in the middle. You know, there's all these sort of syncopated roles and odd, yeah, odd accents that I'm putting in that chorus. Um, <clears throat> and plus, the fact "Unleash the Beast" really for me was, I, I did a lot of writing for "Unleash the Beast." Yeah, because that was the first. It was the first time I'd actually had a sort of writing system at home where i could actually sit down with keyboards and write stuff yeah and play it together whereas before it was like well why don't you try and try and hum something yeah. they will change that note in a riff that's how it used to be you know yeah. back then yeah well, yeah. well let's you, try that you, you do a bit of arranging or whatever but this way i could actually present something when you say when you say uh writing on keyboards are you writing um are you, are you writing riffs? Are you writing uh, yeah. sort of palette of verse, chorus, and and showing it to the band? Both. Both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I mean, That's... I write. I mean, I just write everything that pops into my head. It might only be like sixteen bars. Yeah. Sure. I write. I mean, I keep everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um. But because the other thing is, you say I write library music. So that's for TV and stuff, for documentaries and stuff. So and that's, oh. you know. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. Is yeah, that, do that uh, yeah. Is that you monetarily uh, help? Is you it does help, yes. Yeah. yeah, it does. I mean, you never, you know, you never know where it's going to get used. I just send stuff and they'll go, yeah, can you do like seven tracks like this or something, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so you have like and a. Then you see, and then you see if anyone picks it up. Yeah, you have like an agent that does placement kind of a thing for you? Yeah. Well, I've got this two library companies I work with. So. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Is I, it you know, I write stuff with Doug for this as well. Yeah. I write on my own with Doug. And then there's another friend of mine who, um, Roger, who uh, was the guitarist in my first pro band. So that's you full keep, circle again sort of thing. You keep mentioning your first pro band. What was the name of that band? Krakatoa. Oh right, 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 right. The you, keyboard player was Hans Zimmer. Who's uh don't know Hans Zimmer? That's all the movie soundtracks, like oh. Gladiator and stuff. Oh wow! Right, right. I see what? that name on my favorite movies. Wow, what time? What year was that? What what time frame is that? What the band? Yeah, seventy six to wow, beginning of seventy eight. I think it was. Okay. Wow. Like that. I mean, Hans wasn't in it to start, you know, initially, but we we sort of got him in later. But no, I mean, we were doing good. We we were kind of trying to think musically what we were really. It was like sort of 
before I joined them, it was like quite sort of funk, a bit like um, mm. Rufus with Chaka Khan, that sort of yeah. <clears throat> Oh, yeah, that's, thing. that's what they were really into because I had a female singer. You were the drummer for yeah, that Yeah, time. yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I wasn't in them initially, and then they asked me to join, and so I went in there, and and gradually we sort of we've sort of started getting into other other sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. So, but it's, it was crazy because that was the time when the new wave new wave thing was coming out. Right. I mean, we were going out and playing in town halls, you know, say four or five hundred people selling them out. We couldn't get a record deal. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> Which is crap, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's not, it's not supposed to be like that. No, no, I mean, that means uh, no one was taking you serious other than the four or 500 people that would pack out. Exactly. Your, yeah. You exactly. had a, you had a following, I mean, we were, you know, we were doing great gigs, yeah. gig wise. It was brilliant, you know, but you just couldn't. And we were using um, sort of downtime in the middle of the night at this studio in London called Maison Rouge, which was owned by a part owned by um, this guy called Robin Black, who used to produce Jethro Tull and Sabbath and all sorts. So he was wow. doing our engineering and stuff. Yeah. And we were doing demos, you know, we couldn't, you know. Ah. So <clears throat> one of the things, one of the things that people always joke about um, is, is, and they've almost, put out a petition to bring back the headband. Nigel, <laughs> Nigel, Nigel, of course, was known in the 80s uh, for, for, the, for the headband. And, uh, I mean, <laughs> and I'm wearing the shirt. Let me see. Oh, if, yeah. Um, <laughs> I see the headband. Yeah. So this is a, a, a shirt that you guys, you and your wife, first of all, your wife, Gina, has a, a, a company that makes candles. It's called... <laughs> evoke candle company that's it and she does um <clears throat> she produces candles that uh, have a, have a theme and they have different fragrances and they're obviously a lot of it is musical or music related so there's yeah. been a saxon candle there's been a motorhead candle i think there was a a clash london calling candle yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a clash it was just a london calling, it was so london wasn't calling. Official. i mean the motorhead one the saxon ones are official Right. Okay. So the, now the shirt is a spinoff of 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 that project, and and I want to bring this up because I don't know if there's any more available, but I I wanted to let people know that these shirts were out there at a time, and if they're still available, please tell us. But the proceeds from this shirt went right back to um, is it medical research to help uh, to 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 sort of come up with a cure for the condition that you had. Yeah, well, that, I mean, basically, it's um, it's Amelia Clark, you know, the one that played the dragon dragon girl in Game of Thrones. Right. Okay. She had four aneurysms. Oof. Oh. So she started this charity. Okay. That. So all the proceeds from the because I've had the same thing. All the proceeds from that shirt, and there's a candle as well. All the proceeds go to her charity. Everything goes to her charity. Well, that's, that's it, it's cool. a great shirt, and whenever I wear it, people, people go, "That's a that's a one of a kind shirt." And then I try to promote the uh, the company. That's a, that's a photograph from the inside of the Crusader tour program. Yeah, and on the back, I'm not going to stand up so you can see it. On the back, it says "Spandex Nige is best." Best Nige is so, best Nige. Yeah. So, <laughs> which begs the question: Is the headband um, ever going to make a comeback? 
no, no. no. <laughs> well, the the, uh, the I can attest that it was well after the gig in 1982 when I first met you, and I was just a punk. Uh, you kept the headband on all night. Yeah, <laughs> like your, you know, your that Samson. Thing, you, you know, took it off. You uh, weren't Nigel. The other, the other, the other guys would have their sort of, you know, studded bracelet things, studded, you know, leather things on here, and I'd have my headband. That was it. You know. Yeah. yeah it's okay. <laughs> But I'm saying it was it was hours after you had left the stage, and and I I wit I have photographs. You still had the headband. Yeah. It's like yeah, it's like know, one o'clock in the morning. Still have the headband on. No, I start I started wearing headbands in like bloody. I, I guess it was a hippie thing actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In Krakatoa, actually, I was wearing headbands in Krakatoa. I went through it. was a period. I went through what they call wearing like um. You know those floppy baker's caps. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Things like Alf, that drummer Alphonse Mouzon used to wear in, in uh, when he used to play with Larry Curiel. I used to love his playing, so thought, yeah, I want one of those hats. So I used to wear them, <clears throat> basically to keep the sweat out of my eyes. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. hence the headband came in with a thing and started off, yeah, being a bit hippie-ish and stuff. And then I suddenly thought, no, this is actually this is working really good. Yeah, keeping yeah. the keeping the sweat out of your eyes. Mm-hmm. While yeah, you and play. particularly mm-hmm. sort of later on when I started wearing contact lenses. Yeah. Well, mm. a lot of a lot of runners, a lot of runners wear wear headband, you know, yeah. a, sweat, a sweatband, right? Yeah. yeah. But it was it was really funny because I did it with Toya on top of the pops, right? Which is like a sort of, wow. you know, a bloody sort of. Can um, people find that footage? Thing. You know what top of the pops is, don't you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, can, yeah. Can, can so I did that, and, and, and funnily enough, on the same, I think it was the week before or the week we were on. Or something. I think Duran Duran were on. Wow! The next time they were on, they were all wearing bloody headbands as well. I was like, "What? Where's this come from?" They got it from you, bro. Started it. <laughs> so can, can, can people find uh, the Toya footage from Top of the Pops on YouTube? Oh yeah. Oh no! Don't no no no! Don't. I was wearing these huge, great earrings, like bloody. I don't know. They're like bloody radar dome things or dinner plates. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So you were a little glammy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think no, no, not really. It was just like trying to get a bit of attention, I suppose it was really. Well, a a little glammy will do that. You know, but uh, (laughs) I'll get you for that. And also, also, here's the thing. I I think I I wouldn't know. So I remember Biff wearing headbands once in a while. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean the spandex and the headband with the yeah. you know with the with the metal you know with yeah, I mean don't forget a lot of I mean a lot of the you know a lot of the sort of American hair bands were the headband thing came in so kept with it I'm yeah. guilty you know? yeah I mean you know? yeah, every everyone it was kind of like that thing when you when you're young and you you know you see Judas Priest and Iron Maiden with skinny pants on and shiny pants on and you're yeah. you know your your idols when you're growing up you see it's yeah. like in the back of your head you feel like okay well that's just a trend that I will follow because I don't know what the hell else to wear on stage yeah but yeah. you had to get used to the fact that they didn't like you know hard rockers shop here for your stage <laughs> gear it yeah. was like you had to go to your mom's you know uh workout store to buy yeah. the, the leotard pants and the shiny shit you know i know 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, when, back we, when we were doing, you know, when in, in the sort of spandex days and you were getting, I sort of tried, you know, it was Dave Lee Ross, I think, was doing it, but, you know, some of his, like, stuff was just outrageous. So I thought, right, I've got, I need some things like that, you know. Yeah. So I was getting them from, like, local dance studios, you know. Yeah. Exactly. See, right, what's the most outrageous pattern you've got, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think David yeah, Lee Roth... I mean, everyone was doing it, you know? I think yeah. David Lee Roth said uh, in a, an interview that uh, Metal Dave here uh, did, he said uh, it takes sheer confidence to, <laughs> to pull that off. In, you know, yeah. Sheer confidence to wear the assless chaps, you know? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think what he said was what's more impressive than the garment itself is the confidence it takes to wear it. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Dave. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. him to come up with the the zingers that, yeah. that will stay with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I have I have something I want to throw at you, and th this yeah. it might be it might be a kind of a it not it may not be important to you but i feel like our our listeners i want to say that there are uh there is a huge following whether whether they listen to, to our podcast or not uh that are fans of and very influenced by and are mad just mad collectors of anything from the era that i have always felt saxon has been a part of and that is the new wave of british heavy metal going as far as you know, you could even call it, you know, Venom and, and the whole Newcastle and Neat Records thing, Venom and Raven and yeah. and then, uh, you know, Diamond Head, of course, and Tigers of Pantang and Persian Risk and so on and so on. Angel Witch and yeah. Yeah, I, had their, I had their first album. Yes. And so all all of these bands that are just met and Def Leppard in Sheffield and da 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 and they were they were the only rock band in Sheffield at the time. Everybody else was doing the the new yeah. romantic with a vampire yeah. new wave in late seventies, right? So you think like all of that after saying all of that Saxon is part of that. I, I even say UFO and Thin Lizzy are part of that, but they might have even been like earlier because they're like 73, 4, 5, right? Yeah, they were earlier, definitely. Yeah, they were earlier. So when someone from like Sounds Magazine, I believe, coined it as, you know, the new wave of British heavy metal. I, think he that was, I have a feeling that was Jeff Barton, I think. I think right. that you're right. And I think he mentioned in a sentence after he coined that was Angel Witch, Motorhead, and 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 maybe Diamond Head. I, I'm not quite sure. I don't have it memorized, but I feel like you know Saxon as a band were around. You know, of course, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest was a part of that. But yet again, earlier they were like they were the a grand, bit earlier they too. Were grand, really. Grandfathering all of this, right? The, the, the Sabbath, and then the, and then the Zeppelin, and the, and then the priest, and then the maiden, and then. Yeah. But I feel like Saxon is a big player in all of this. That doesn't really seem sometimes that you guys get lumped in. Do you feel like you guys were a definite part of the movement? Oh yeah, yeah. I feel so strongly, yeah. Yeah. but I don't. But it's I, I'm just saying I'm not saying anything good or bad about it. When you hear about, they usually mention five or six of the bands yeah. I just mentioned, and and so only sometimes it's Saxon. Usually at the top of the heap is, 
you know, the diamond head and the, uh, you know, status quo might have even been earlier. They were earlier, weren't they? Oh, yeah. They were, yeah, they big were time earlier. earlier. Okay. So, but I mean, there was, there was a movie. I mean, Motorhead were as well, really. Yeah, I mean, early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First Motorhead album, I think it was 76, I think it was. Wasn't yeah, it? I think, 76, you're right, which was like an immediate uh, switch over from Lim to Hawk, from Hawkwind. He's just like, overnight, I've got a band Motorhead and I need some guys. And yeah. 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 So, so I'm I'm glad that you feel, of course, that Saxon is a giant. Oh player. yeah, definitely. I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm pretty sure Biff and Paul think that as well. Yes. Definitely, you know. Yeah, I just think that the sound you guys were doing and your camaraderie with uh, Priest and Motorhead and Maiden uh, is enough to, like, uh, you know, punch a flag in the earth and say, "Fuck yeah." Hmm because yeah, uh, no, I, I just... the band definitely was part of that that was as far as jeff Barton was concerned yeah we were we yes. were we were in there yeah and you know well. that is that is just a big deal and i just wanted to kind of like say cheers to to <laughs> that and to just to the band and i'm i'm really happy uh to call you a friend nigel oh thanks man yeah, Thank yeah you. there's no no question in, <laughs> that Saxon is a, a huge part of the not only the new wave of British heavy metal, but uh, I mean, just ask Metallica, you know, I mean, they they, they basically, you know, were a, a key band that shaped the future of heavy metal moving forward. I they don't were, think there's a there, there's not a speed metal thrash metal band out there today that doesn't have some Saxon records, you know, and they were introducing yeah. just like me and my friends down here. Uh, they were in you know, Lars, Lars's record collection is what I like to call it. Mm. Uh, he, that punk kid was introducing, he came over from Holland and was in, or uh, Copenhagen, I guess. And, and Denmark, was in, yeah. Yeah. And was introducing everyone on the West coast to, to whoever would listen to diamond head yeah. and Saxon yeah. and, and motorhead and all that stuff. So, yeah. I really feel like there were these waves in America that were picking up on that in a fairly quick fashion as late as early as 79 and 80. Yeah. 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 So fantastic. <laughs> fantastic stuff. So uh, listen, change change I, I just, my life. Change my life. I want to, I want to uh, say in closing, I want to reiterate the, the, the last four or five Saxon albums. Uh, if you haven't heard them, you owe it to yourself to check them out. Uh, call to arms. I'm going to try and recite this list again. Call to arms, sacrifice, uh, battering ram, uh, thunderbolt. Am I there, Nigel? Did I cover them all? Yeah, you got the last. You got the last four. Yeah. And then there's the inspirations album, which is the covers album that just recently yeah, came. Which out. surprised a lot of people. Actually. Yeah, that's worth a listen as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. If, definitely. If, Anyone listening that uh, stopped listening to Saxon after the Crusader record or the Unleash the Beast uh, record, you're, you're missing out. Uh, go check out some of these uh, the latest records. And um, stay tuned for a new album coming, as Nigel says, in January, February of next year. Yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed. We, we're looking forward to that. And you know what? We're mo we're mostly looking forward to you touring. We miss you here in the States. We want you to get <laughs> back here and melt our faces as soon as possible. <laughs> and uh, Hopefully COVID is uh, taking a step back and will allow for that. So, yeah, I hope so. I mean, thank God, you know, I've been over there a couple of times this yes. year. 
I, yeah, I know. And, and, uh, and, uh, I hope you're coming back, uh, again soon, not yeah. only for a visit, but for a tour and, uh, and bringing a new album with you. So, yeah. um, I'll leave it at that. Jason, you got anything else you want to add? I want to thank you, Nigel, for joining okay. us. It's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure. I, I always enjoy the conversation. Thank you, the you, guys, you know, oh, thank you very much. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> and on that note, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Metal Dave signing off on behalf of my co-host Jason McMaster and our very special guest. More cowbell. More cowbell. Our very, very special <laughs> guest. Can't thank you enough. Mr. Nigel Glockler, the drummer for Saxon. Thank you for listening. Yeah.